Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to the Growing Band Director Podcast. My name is Kyle Smith, and joining me is my friend and colleague, Jeff Smith. Our mission is to share practical advice and explore topics that will help every band director, no matter your experience level, as well as music education students who are working to join us in the coming years. Together, we will discuss many aspects of a well-rounded band program, but most importantly, we will discuss concepts that help us all improve our own programs each and every day. Always remember the famous quote by Ray Kroc, when you're green, you're growing, and when you're right, you rot. Let's get started. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Growing Band Director Podcast. This is, I see, one of, the, one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to is the Jocko Willink Podcast, and he's, he, he's amazing. Anyway, he does these Jocko Underground podcasts, and he's got a bunch of them. They're like super short. Uh, this one is not short, but we're going to call this a Growing Band Director Underground uh, <laughs> episode. And because I am in a car with Dean Neal. Dean, how are you? Yeah, great. Doing great. Um, so we are... Watch, watch out for that car right there. We are headed to Honor Band Festival here in Maine. And I am the manager, and Dean is doing all the work. And uh, I figured, well, Dean is a wonderful person. He's been on an episode... Uh, back in June, where we talked about singing with your band and all that great stuff. Since then, I've gotten better audio gear. Thank you, Dean. And um, so we're going to be riding in a car down. I figured we'd have all the band talk conversations, so I thought we'd record it. So we're going to record a segment on the way down uh, and see how that goes. And then do the Honor Band Festival, which is going to be a one-day festival. And then on the way back, we're going to kind of recap from the the, the day and and all that. So uh, I don't know. I talked the whole time. Is that okay? Or That's cool. Good. Yeah. Keep your eyes on the road. So what is the best schedule that you've taught under? Oh, for a second, I thought you were going to say, what's the best schedule? <laughs> I was going to say, boy, that's a Band, good, very good question. 100 minutes every day and nothing <laughs> um, else. That I've taught under. I, when I was at MCI, we, we tried so many schedules. And actually, uh, in one year... We tried, it was either three or four different daily class schedules um, and piloted them so that we could use that year to determine how we wanted to go forward, which in hindsight is a nuts. Wow. That, that our students were like test subjects for a, <laughs> uh, for a period of time where we were trying to determine really what was most viable for our students so and what we settled on i think now sounds really crazy to most people but after having done um having begun teaching in a every day uh, seven periods a day 45 minutes a period um started doing that kind of teaching into um like a two-day rotation where all of the classes rotated through two days at different times to um, and most recently block scheduling of you know a, a two-day a b or day one day two rotation the, the 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 schedule that i found worked really well was actually a three-day rotation um, where the classes did uh, did a, a rotation so that you weren't seeing students at exactly the same time every day which again sounds a little crazy but we know that there are some times of the day that are really great for teaching our kids at high school level, uh, and then other times like, of the day. Like between 9 and 11. Yeah, and other <laughs> times of the day that are like, oh, 
my gosh, these kids, what is going either, you know, sometimes that can be first thing in the morning where like they're not quite on it yet. Um, or it's at the end of the day where they're kind of like already like you just let's focus here and get through the end. So so everybody kind of got to have time with the students at a really optimal uh, time of day. And uh, I, I thought that that really worked really well. Um, you know, basically you'd see students twice and then have a day off and see them twice and have a day off. Um, so in the most you'd see them is four times in a week and the least you'd see them is three times in a week. Um, and, it, and it worked quite well. I think one of the biggest challenges, regardless of when I think about scheduling, um, it, it, and, and I've been in you know smaller schools, certainly less than you know for years, you know less than 400 students, and now less than 700 students. Um, you know we have students that we're trying to have be involved with instrumental and choral programs, and not exclusive of one another. Right. Yeah. And so the biggest challenge around scheduling is how to make that possible. Right. Um, and uh, probably the most creative uh, version of that I've seen is the folks at MDI High School, Mount Desert Island High School, have a really creative way of doing that because they have students that are involved with their um, band, orchestra, and choral program. And they, I, I can't really be begin to describe it because it's so creative but they do work it out so that they kind of have a block of time that they get to uh, divide up and send kids to lunch and they share them and they rotate who has who at what time like it's a very unique situation and I and I think in talking to those folks years ago about it it allows them to share students and I think the benefit is that well I might even mention it a few times today. The benefit is that they're stronger musicians for it. Um, that um, while we might think that, well, students really get to focus if they're just one. I think if they can really train all that those parts of their musicianship, they're stronger overall. So, but yeah, I I think you know the block schedule thing, the the two days, you know, seventy five or eighty minutes a period. It has some benefits, but. Um, there's there's a lot of lost instruction time yeah. that I saw when we went from what what we were seeing students in regularly. Um, uh, I I think inevitably we saw less instructional time over the course of a year. So. Yeah, and it's just not good for kids to be in a class that long. I mean, it's just not optimal for their focus. The yeah. best the best one I taught under was. Uh, rotating well it was it was a, a seven period day and it was Monday Tuesday Friday was all seven classes but then Wednesday Thursday was three of the classes each day or four of the classes each day um, so we saw them four days a week that that was really awesome that was some of our best playing years was when I got to see them four days a week oh sure yeah and I would I would much rather see them every day or four days a week for 45 minutes than 75 minutes every other day let alone you have a snow day or or whatever like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think the developing consistency is is really the key. So having if it's a little less time but more frequently. Um, oh yeah, a hundred percent. We uh, there's just yeah the whole topic of scheduling. There's there there are 
at every grade level, I think there are challenges that exist, um, and in, and I think in some ways they're unique for every grade level. And uh, certainly at the high school, we we find ourselves dealing with students that want to attend our um, career and technical centers uh, more and more, uh, which is great. But we don't want to see them leave our music program. And so, how do we find creative ways to still engage them, keep them? plugged in and connected with the program through you know through those uh, junior and senior years and of course then there's the whole in the last 15 years um, this might be a little uh, controversial to some but uh, in the last 15 years I feel like uh, the college board and AP have hijacked our high school scheduling uh, for the last 15 years and convinced everybody that if they don't do AP courses in all of their studies then they're not setting themselves up for success in college and uh, and it's sometimes pitted uh, those students against their um, arts education and um, in schools where they've really worked to figure that out that's great but unfortunately not every school has really strived to do that and uh, I think our parents and our students have been really um, Unfortunately, I think, in a way, pushed down a road that's not always um, really the most beneficial, in my opinion. Yeah, and there's always, now there's also the teacher shortage a lot uh, of places. Yes. So you're like, like this year, we have an engineering class that's never been in the way of anything. But now it's right at the same time as Win Ensemble. And I'm lucky only one kid really has the issue. So I'm, I was without that kid for, a, but it was only for a semester. You know, this kid wants to take engineering. I can't blame him for that. Oh, no, not at all. And we've never had the issue where they schedule those singletons at the same time. Um, we do have the issue with the Vogue Center. I mean, not an issue. It's great. But if a kid wants to do Medoc or whatever, you know, if they're going to be the second half of the day. And it went from being a quarter of their time in school to a half of their time in school about five or six years ago. And I don't know why that is. Something with the, the way the state mandated certain things. But I, I can think of three kids right now who are juniors who are not playing in band because our band is in the second half of the day and they have to be gone for four hours doing the stuff they want to do. So yeah. that, that's kind of a bummer. What, what, what I've uh, resorted to to keep those kids plugged in is that I, I do independent studies with them, which is, which is, again, it's just a stopgap to try to keep them plugged in. The, you know, ultimately the challenge is they're not playing with the ensemble regularly, uh, and so they're not getting that experience. I'm still working with them on all of the music concepts, and they're still developing their skills. But they're not with their friends yep. doing all the things. Yep. And they, you know, they still come to all the performances, and they're they're there for all of that. But in the rehearsal process, there's certainly a piece missing there. Yeah. Um, but you know, but it does it does keep them plugged in, and and um, right now, I, I mean, I I, I feel like every single individual student is um you know we're at a place where in recovering from uh the pandemic that i honestly we i need every single student to be involved <laughs> yep. to to you know kind of bridge this gap between you know losing a lot of students and then all the students that have restarted at the younger grade levels is a we have such a great 
group of students, but there's going to be a, a little gap there where, um, you know, where it might seem to some that we're just treading water. We're not, um, but we are definitely doing our best to thrive with with who we have. And so every individual, um, I'm, you know, we're trying to go out of my way, which is why, you know, four days, uh, wait, no, two days a week I start um, before school um, with small group uh, independent study uh, lesson groups uh, to keep those kids plugged in. But in the end, in the end, that's music education. You just the kids are at the level they're at in front of you, yep. and your job is to help them achieve the best that you can. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so to yeah. that end, actually, you know, when we talked about maybe having a little chat on the way down, I think that's. I, I, I often say to to Lisa, my wife, who's a, a theater arts educator in, in school down the hallway from me. Uh, so we're talk about sometimes it can feel like we're just kind of managing. <laughs> sometimes it's like when when am I teaching? I'm just managing this piece and that piece, and and this kid needs this and that kid. But that those are parts of of being a good educator, being a good music educator in particular in this case, and. Um, one of those things that I've seen in particular uh, post-pandemic, but it's really been growing over the last, I think, five to ten years. This, you know, this kind of the new hot button term in education is social and uh, emotional learning, yep. the SEL. And I, I think that it's a piece that when we talk about, even when I'm talking to school students about their schedules, um, I have to be really, I, I have to be very mindful of where they're at uh, personally, individually, if I really want to stay connected, giving them ultimatums is a really difficult thing now. 30 years ago, for the most part, I could say to a student, here's your choice, and, and, and usually get a response for us in music education that was favorable. Um, now, if I do that, See ya. It, yes. <laughs> so now if you just flat out just give an ultimatum and say, here's my expectation, and that's what it is, and that is unwavering and the end, my way or the highway kind of thing. The I highway say, is what we're choosing. I, I would say, uh, who knows anecdotally what percentage of that is, but I would say the majority of the students, if you give them an ultimatum, my way or the highway today, they'll take the highway. Yep. So I th think that piece of social and emotional learning is very strongly connected to arts education inherently because in the arts we deal with social and emotional things we are constantly expressing ourselves through the medium yeah and so it's inherently connected however i think as educators if we think that's enough <laughs> that we're touching on social and emotional learning because we teach music Ta-da! That's right. <laughs> I'm doing a piece on, uh, you know, we're doing One, One Life Beautiful in this honors band here today. And ta-da! We're touching on social-emotional learning because we're doing this wonderful piece that's an homage to this person's life and how uh, a fantastic life is and how frail but how strong it is at the same time. All these things. And inherently, we are passing on to the students social and emotional learning yes uh we've got to we've got to be more than that uh we have to then find ways to still in words connect that and through listening to them uh it's it's a um there are some days that it absolutely right now um if i was honest 
it, it's a struggle uh, for me as an educator some days to feel that I'm meeting my students' social and emotional learning needs. Um, where I maybe felt like that in, in decades past that I'd have those days, oh man, maybe I'm not getting to you know little Jimmy's, I don't know that I'm doing this. That's much more frequent now and far many more students that yeah. I feel that way. Um, but yet it's a very real part of, of our educational landscape. And, and to just kind of, you know, I have some very, um, I think very good colleagues who are very experienced, who sometimes hear these buzzwords of this stuff and they kind of just kind of like try to pass it off like, ah, whatever, kids just need to suck it up and you know, we're they're too soft. And I look at it and say, well, we have some students that are growing up in a very different culture and world than we may have grown up in. And I, I think the influences of social media and the immediacy of response has really forced the hands of a lot of our young people. And it's and, and in music education, we have a great opportunities to really help help these these young people. I think it's a, a tremendous responsibility and weight. But at the same time, I think we have awesome responsibility. I mean, uh, opportunities to do it. It's fantastic. So you mentioned Julie Giroux's one life beautiful yes. um you're also doing undertow by john mackey mm. and what's the third piece Roca, yep. uh, the the spanish march the paso doble uh by jaime tesidor arranged by fagan yeah gary fagan so two things i wanted to mention so that's the program i, I want to hear about why we chose those three pieces uh and what they can bring to to our experience today how you plan to what else do you plan on doing through those pieces like you already talked about the middle tune um, a bit. And then also, how is our plan going to change as a teacher, not as a, somebody who's structuring the festival, but you now have three or four less hours of practice. Yeah. Um, so So as far as the pieces themselves, Amparito Roca, I, I, I love doing a march in a in any program. I think marches have, have a really important part historically um, in wind ensemble literature. But by the same token, I wanted to do something a, a little different as a march. And Amparito Roca is a Spanish march, um, and it was an early march that helped to really introduce the concept of a paso doble, a two-step uh, march. It was used as a military march. Um, is a paso doble, that's a dance. Uh, well, is, is there the, a rhythm that goes with it? The, the dance, the paso doble, was, uh, was really effectively developed a little after, actually, they believe it was first really evolved as a, a march step okay. that then became integrated into or developed into this dance step that they took the concept of a two-step uh, idea if you will and then developed it into dance and then it even found its way into like a, a bullfighting arenas mm -hmm. and and those those sounds and those styles and so um, um, so having something a, a, a little different still a march um, so it has that consistency of tempo and and um, but it also does some things harmonically uh, being set in a minor key and then changing to the uh, parallel major and so that's a little unique too mm -hmm. it doesn't change key like a traditional American march does at the trio um, so so some unique things about it um, that I think and it's I love Gary Fagan's arrangement of it it's I think it's very true to the original uh, without and and with some really 
enjoyable lines without being technically so demanding that we just have to spend hours and hours and hours pouring over uh, figures to get under the fingers and really can get at the music. And I want to I want to point out that <coughs> how long have you been teaching? Thirty three years. Thirty three years. I'm twenty years, so you got me beat by a good chunk. Um, but all those things you mentioned, the music theory aspect of that, I bet you you're going to find a way to teach that to the kids today um, in, a, in a passing setting, at least, without stopping and having, quote-unquote, music theory time. Well, it, I always like it when teachers are able to take this information and get it to the students without saying, okay, stop, let's get some staff paper out and write out, right. you know, all the things. To me, all of those elements, are those, those should be, to me, what I try to do is interject those as we go. So, you know, the, the, you know, when you're in a teaching setting, I always ask my students, what's the difference between teaching and directing? And now my students pretty well, you know, they kind of drone it back like it's some cult thing, you know, like teaching is when you're like, you know, the, so, you know, teaching, you're asking questions, you're getting feedback and directing. You're like, do this. Yeah. We don't have time. We've got to go and do this. And so I, I like on the teaching side of it that you're interjecting things, asking little questions. But right, we, you know, students are there to play their instruments. If it kind of devolves into like, let's deconstruct this piece for all of the right. uh, functional harmony piece, like that they're going to tune out. And then you have a you have a it, shot so. clock in your head, basically yeah. of all right. I got twelve more seconds, and then we need to be playing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And so it, making you know making mention of like you know what, and even asking the question, what do we, what's the effect then going from that minor tonality to this major tonality how does it change the mood how does you know those kinds of things and then how is our how are our dynamics accompanying that i'm going to through all three pieces i'm going to talk about storytelling because um, i teach um i teach everything at nicomas instrumental choral the classroom music digital music everything and one of the things that i point out instrumentally is that we through our instrumental music still storytell but we don't have any lyrics. So how do we tell the story through instrumental music? What elements, you know, are using articulation and dynamics and phrasing? Like it's not just, well, I've got some notes and the composer wrote something because uh, oftentimes it is with, <laughs> not oftentimes, it's with purpose and direction. Not every piece is programmatic, um, but every piece has a purpose and an intent. And sometimes so, if you create a story that's not there, it allows them to express it in oh, a better way. Absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, I'm always, you know, asking, you know, like telling, asking students, like, what do you hear when you hear? Like, what comes to mind? What imagery does that evoke? Yeah. So, so you know, I'm looking forward to the march in uh, One Life Beautiful. Um, I, I heard so many examples of this. Got to play this piece under uh, Dr. Tony Maiello's uh, conducting a couple of years ago in the Acadia Wind Ensemble, and um, I used as really as my foundation for how I want this to sound in my head is the University of North Texas recording of this piece. The tempo just really moves and it flows. And that piece, I think the students could make the mistake of looking at that piece and going, oh my gosh, it's like quarter notes and half notes. And like, like uh, there's nothing in here technically difficulty, difficult. But if they miss, if they lose track of one beat they could be like lost for three measures kind of thing mm -hmm. like they have to be so focused and so purposeful in every phrase that they play um it's um it really is amazing it's a great impressionistic work and i did choose it for that reason that technically 
it, the demands are not found in runs and lines and range and it's it's found in nuance and it's found in patience and it's found in expressiveness so mm. uh, i just really that's i mean i love all three pieces that piece is the one i pr may hopefully my enthusiasm for it doesn't leak through too much <laughs> but i'm so excited to do that piece well, what game. are you using as a what do you plan to do for warm-up now we have a less time so i assume your warm-up might be a little less it, but it's good it, it, and, and look obviously a, uh like a festival warm-up looks very different than like your rehearsal warm-up where you might do rhythm exercises and all kinds of yeah. things that you know in a teaching setting um but really today it's going to be a Focusing on on listening and a little bit on watching to kind of preface our work on One Life Beautiful. Um, so we'll use like a, a scale that's familiar to them. We may use concert B flat or concert F scale, and uh, just do to get started. Even right at the beginning, I'll do like a little conducting pattern. And you may have in your podcast, you may, may have mentioned that yeah somebody Gene Quinn did this yeah. And um, just to and the whole purpose is to get them to look for beat one because in one life beautiful that's going to be my constant reminder to them is like my hands and actually I've, I've conducted one life beautiful in, in in preparation and study with baton and without and i think i've decided to do it without baton yep. because my hands feel like i, I can be I, I feel like that piece is really almost like sculpting and painting and the i as much as comfortable as i am with the baton i i feel like I'm even more comfortable pulling things out mm -hmm. of the ensemble on that piece. But I'm going to tell the students, in a way, hopefully, anything could happen from one to the end of the bar, but you'll always know where one So you're going to do the scale, but you're going to mix up the meter Correct. every time. It's going to be, every measure will be a and different And any meter. kids who are here who are freshmen did that exercise last year with Gene. Oh, cool. Great. They, if they were in that, it's the same district. So Great. Some of the kids so, may have done that. So, I mean, just that concept from a watching perspective, from a from a listening perspective, we're going to do, do very quick uh, some vocalizing with them in pitch. So, quote singing, but it's not going to be worry worry about like you you don't sound good chorally. Like it's going to be <laughs> like let's let's get our listening centered in right off the bat, um, and not because a tuner says that you're in tune or not in tune, but because our ears. Are you going to use like a fixed pitch vibraphone or something like that? Yeah, or yeah, yeah. we'll use a. Yeah, uh, stationary pitch and listening. And, and just to get us going, um, I do have a corral that I printed off, actually, I brought with me that we can kind of throw out there. And okay. whether or not we'll use it as an opening thing or maybe... How many copies did you make? I made enough. I printed out enough for the whole ensemble. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, we, I might not use it right immediately at the start. But, do you um, want to hand it out at the start? Yeah, we'll get okay. it right, put it out on their stands. Okay. And, but... Um, but maybe come back from a break and go like, hey, let's let's play this corral and let's yeah. you know like get our ears listening back again, rather than okay, we're coming back from a break or whatever. Let's let's retune. Uh, yeah. I, I, let's use music to retune. So we're coming so. up to the school here. We haven't talked about undertow yet. Why are we doing undertow? So undertow, great rhythmic energy. It's such a div diversion from what we did on One Life Beautiful, and Amparita Roca because of the the pattern that's underlying everything i love the the pull of that uh seven eight to the to the four it's really a three beat structure the one two one two one two three one two three four um such great energy and so many kids who are here haven't done much mixed meter i know my kids know about it and have done it but it's not like an automatic with, for them with multimeter yeah uh, yep. you know doing with that mixed meter yep um and um the with undertow 
uh, once they settle in, it's like it's a groove. So it's it's a and as such great writing for everybody in the ensemble percussion especially really gets to really stretch their legs a little bit on this one which is really really exciting the biggest difference that's going to be present here in terms of rehearsing is that um i'm i'm really going to approach it in a way that in a way that's kind of assumed we've already done some rehearsing yeah so in in other words instead of coming in and actually instead of coming in and say let's play this piece and see where we're at i'm actually going to enter in and be like we're going to start um you know we're going to begin with the march and i'll say let me hear the introduction bam then we're going to stop and i'm going to say great like so in other words i'm going to pretend like we rehearsed uh, yesterday I'm pretend we've already rehearsed it and we're already working on some things that's great so because i'm gonna we we have less time so i don't well, I'm not going to go through the whole piece and say, yeah, I, I anticipate they'll play right through the march. So let's go, you know, intro up to 26 and we'll stop and let's go back. Let's do this, do this. And so we'll spend, you know, on the opening uh, on the opening of the rehearsal, maybe 20 minutes on the march, 15, 20 minutes and in, in like uh, kind of compartmentalize it a little bit. And and then we'll move on. Yeah. And, and, and at the end of that, like, OK, let's play right through it beginning to end. So. Yeah, because we have to, because we're reduced in time, um, we kind of have to. But we're going to gain a little time too. We're going to change our schedule so oh, we have great. the most amount of possible oh, rehearsal time yeah. today. So, you know, my big thing um, that I have to watch out for myself personally is that when I know that there's a little bit of a time crunch, my brain starts to process things. Fa- I'm like, okay, here we are, here we are, here we are, because kids are going like, whoa, whoa, I got to flip there. So. I tend mm-hmm. to work pretty quickly anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's I'm, good. So I'm always telling students. So like, uh, if I if I if you're like, whoa, wait, uh, where where did you say? Just just ask me where we are. Cause, I'm sure it'll be great. So uh, we'll keep trucking along. So maybe so. we'll check in after the festival and see. Oh, how that'd it goes. be cool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's check in after the festival. See how it went. <laughs> but you can't Correct. So that was the biggest thing. Was. You know, overall, their tone, their concept of tone and their concept of an intonation and all those things, very good and very musical. There were definitely some some issues present, but with a limited amount of time, the question then becomes how how much can we hammer away on that in a limited amount of time and not, you know, have so, kids come away from it going like, oh my gosh, all we did was those eight measures. So let's talk know, about so. sort of what happened because undertow John Mackey, which is seven eight four four, just about throughout, and two days before, one of our great percussionists, I think he was third chair, maybe fourth chair, came down with COVID. So we had an alternate jump in and cover his parts, but then um, the tom part in the middle of it was kind of too much for him. So we had another kid who is a. a Percussionist who made it, he tried to learn the tom part today in the last few hours, and we got to a point that it's just a. Re- if anybody knows that tom part, it is not an easy concert tom part, and the tom setup that we were using is different from what we would normally use at school as well. So, he really by the end sort of fabricated a part that was the best he could do. Right. But we have to be happy with that. And yeah. Oh, absolutely. To get him to be happy with with that, and another percussionist had to kind of cover a part last minute that we had. That hadn't happened as well. So, so uh, those things in a festival situation, that's not uncommon because, you know, somebody's sick. And so you've got to maybe slide over here and, and cover that. And how do we how do we manage those things? 
um, oh, shoot, that even happens sometimes in our own schools, right? Like, yeah. uh, you know, Joey's sick today, and ta-da, you get to cover this tambourine Well, when part. that happens, too, it's like, okay, could we do without the bell part because we're all seeing right. the yep. Yes, we could. Yep. However, there's a kid here who only has two notes in the whole piece. They're clearly a bright kid because they made honors band. Right. We say, can you do this? They say, yep, I could do that. So then that gives them an opportunity Rather than going, oh, why didn't we cover that or whatever, it's an opportunity for that kid to get that experience. So there's a passage in One Life Beautiful that um, that we went over, and it dealt with a number of accidentals and, and essentially changing chords, nearly every beat. And um, so we went over it, and it was a little rough. We ironed it out, but we didn't, we didn't go over it for like 20 minutes we addressed it it was much better so the, the question is like with more time you know yesterday and today we could have dedicated to really really kind of diving into that and really repeat you know what i mean like giving it enough time so it felt a much more secure so that knowing at performance time it would be secure and then it was going much better and then sure enough in performance there were a couple of bars that were like that we, you know we had some maybe some forgetfulness of like oh we're in we're in d flat major here concert oh shoot that's uh i forgot my pinky there and so those things happen they you know as i told them um but my my hindsight is like what what could i have done during the during the rehearsal time limited rehearsal time that still provides them with a quality experience where it's not just playing well i'll say what you what so. you did do was by the way it's weird doing this in a car oh yeah <laughs> um, what you did do really well was you celebrated the moments where they sounded really good and you'd say after a piece or what, after a run of the piece or a second, you say, you have moments in that where you sound really, really amazing. And you were celebrating those moments. And, you know, you didn't say, you have moments of this that aren't very good. You were focusing on the positive stuff, knowing that there's only so much you can do in a short amount of time. Right. And uh, I think the kids understood that, you know, they were making really good music. And because of the approach you took, they left thinking they sounded really good, which they did. Which, which they did, absolutely. I, I mean, I think it just it kind of resonates me with in me with other festivals that I've conducted where, um, um, you know, I've even had, you know, like you yourself, you pointed out like, oh, I think it's the second trombones, which is great to have another set of ears to pick up yeah. on things, especially in a in a 70 80 piece ensemble with limited time but i'm not doing anything besides sitting and listening right so it, you know we like i told them sometimes we get a, a an agenda in our head and we get focused in certain areas and we're not picking up every piece in in our in the spectrum but i think of other times that i've even had uh, managers uh or folks say um I, you know I, I i think that part is actually i think they're um, especially in vocal things, they'll be like, um, I think the altos are actually, alto twos are actually doubling the alto ones there. And it's, you know, we're one hour before the performance. And I'm like, yep, that's okay. There, we're, You know, you kind of have to weigh things out. Yep. And it's not about cutting your losses. It's about recognizing, um, A, what's really important and critical to the music being, um, having, it being, you want to be have it to be um, in 
solid integrity, right? You want it to, you don't want to deliver a piece of music that's not true to its intent. Um, but sometimes we are limited, whether it's in ability or time. And so how can we still do that and deliver a performance that's strong, that's musical, and, uh, and not get too caught up in like every single pitch. And what really kind of struck me about that, I remember um, you, uh, Frank Mantooth, you remember the writer Frank, yes. Frank Mantooth? Yes. So we, we brought him in, it was in the ice storm year, 1998. Yes. And I had him come in to do honors band that year. And um, um, that was a wacky year, obviously the ice storm, uh, because um, being the honors band manager, yay, I got to run the first night's rehearsal uh, because he wasn't there yet because we had ice. And so he was delayed. And I was like, and I was a pretty new, like young uh, um, teacher. I think I was probably only in my fifth year of teaching or sixth year. I was like, I'll manage honors band. And uh, I wasn't thinking, I'll run honors band rehearsal on the first night. And you hadn't so, done necessarily score study like you were running. No, 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 no. So, so great. So we're going through the charts. Great. And then he shows up basically to say to kids, hey, and we'll see you in the morning. He comes in the next day. The trumpets are playing a rhythm in one of his charts that he wrote. And it was a Latin tune. And the whole trumpet section is playing it um, incorrectly. Like it's not exactly the right rhythm. And he goes, um, yeah, trumpets, that's not the uh, rhythm I have written there, but you know, that works, that's fine, we'll keep that. I like, I like it, it works, and we'll just go with that. It's, you're doing, you're like laying into it real strong, and uh, we're, we're gonna use that. So how do, you, how do you know, obviously if you're the composer of the piece, that's one thing, but yeah. how, how do you know as a teacher, right, when you can cut your losses and when you can't? I, I'm gonna give my thought and then, Yep. Uh, you know, I think first the first question is, okay, usually you want to fix the problem. Usually. If yeah. you feel like the kid is sort of at the end of their rope and they you sort of maximize what their abilities are, or if you've run out of time to do it, then you find something that's musically going to work and you go with it. Um, y yeah, I've done things like let's say it's a range issue. So we'll, we'll change the octave that you're playing in. And if you develop the strength, then fine, you can, you can play that. Um, if it's uh, a lot of times with, let's say my trombones, they may have some uh, you know, pitch matching challenges. And so I might, if the tenor saxes aren't playing at that time, I might score out that part to yep. play along with them, to support them in it and um, to help them. And then if they're still, you know, struggling to make it, is it, is it a pitch thing like that register? Can we change the register? Can we harmonize it and give them other pitches to play that is more manageable? But most importantly, you're, you're finding problems and yeah. you're finding solutions to right. those problems. If it's a rhythmic thing, how can we still, you know, have them, uh, you know, let's say they've got a figure that goes, uh, well, maybe they go da 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 like every other note turned it into an eighth note, yeah. so this line is still outlined. Um, so I think we look for those ways, those s solutions, you know, always. We, we need to be looking for those. Yeah, and how do you balance that with composer intent? Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, there's another thing. Like, um, we, uh, one year I had Kerry Marsh. I don't know if you remember him coming oh, in. Uh, yeah, yeah, I love his. There's a chart of his that I, almost, I asked him to do for big band but we couldn't end up affording, affording a commission at the time. Oh, yeah. His chart on centerpiece, 
Oh yes, yeah. I, I yep. love that. It's so good. So so we so I brought him in one year when I was managing the Allstate Jazz Choir, and so it was really cool. Like you know, you get to hang with some of these folks and kind of pick their brains and like That's oh, you should manage. writing and yep. stuff. Like so and so I remember sitting there in uh, what was the place in Scarborough that had the hot dogs place the. Uh, oh, Chicago Dogs. Chicago Dogs. So we went to Chicago Dogs, and Carrie's like, just like, you know, uh, we're just eating away on stuff. And so we're talking about that very thing, about charts and things that he writes. And and I was like, yeah, I mean, some of your charts, and by the way, some of his grade levels for charts, I don't, <laughs> I don't quite get. Some of his, like, grade two to three stuff yeah. is still like really challenging and some of his grade five stuff has fantastic things in it but if i could just like simplify it a little bit there's so much great stuff in it and so i was like i've i've kind of done that a little bit with some of your work he's like great he said if you need to take something that i've written and use it to make it work for your kids and your students and it works for them but you use it as a catalyst for that's he's i have no problem with that whatsoever none can i whatsoever. tell you another funny composer story so timothy marr i don't know if you remember that name yep um back so he is good friends with andy boysen and back when i was in college we did a, a cd back when they made cds of timothy marr's music mm -hmm. and one of the pieces was called the soaring hawk and based on for the iowa hawkeyes Oh, yeah. And uh, so anyway, in there, so I was a graduate conducting student, and I had done all my score study, of course, before this composer came in. And there was a section I could not figure out harmonically at all. What the heck is going on in these bunch of measures? So there was an open Q&A with him and all this. And I thought, you know, I might have come up with a solution or whatever, but I wanted to ask him. So I asked him politely, and he said, he sort of tilted his head and said, yeah, all that stuff, that's just white key stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I just sat down at the piano and played the white keys, and I liked it, so I wrote it down. <laughs> and he said, you know, not everything has to be analyzed. I just did it because I thought it was cool. I don't know what it is, but it's just white key stuff. And that sat with me. Um, sitting down to do score study of Julie Giroux's um, One Life Beautiful. Sitting down at the piano with a score is like the best thing you can ever so, do. So I started out, I didn't, I didn't go through the whole score this way, but I started out analyzing each chord. Um, it wasn't very far into it, and I was like, "Oh my!" I don't know what that chord like, is. Like, like what? Isn't what? The, the, you know, chord plurality, chords being what they are, depending on how they're voiced, and what what really is that chord? Is it dependent on the root? Is it this chord, but there's a different note in the root? Oh, but it was, it was so. There were so many directions that it was going. It wasn't like uh, analyzing like Amparito Roca, which is pretty. Straight you know, straight ahead. You know, you can hear a four chord, a five chord, a six minor, or, or but like sometimes a group of notes just function oh, in a certain way. It doesn't yeah. have to be a whatever chord. There's a great YouTube video of Jacob Collier explaining oh. harmony to five levels of musicians. You've probably heard yep. this. And the last one is Herbie Hancock. And at one point, he's like, in this tune, there's this group of notes. And then he goes, oh yeah, and he plays it. And he's like, it's not a five chord, but it's still going in the same place. And they play it, and uh, and it's pretty cool. Yeah. I, so I think. All of those kinds of things. When I think about 
delivering to students in a short amount of time in a festival situation like this like you may have heard me say little things like okay well that's you know in this interval we had them sing at one point like an interval they had a, a ascending perfect fourth interval and they were a little flat and so we had them sing it together you know and talking about like well that intervals that's an interval of a fourth and mixing in some of the theory that's present in the music or the clarinets had a major seventh interval uh for harmonies, harmonization, and you could hear them when they first played it. It was really not in tune, but I could understand it because they were not aware of what was trying to be said harmonically. Yep. They, they were they probably heard it as like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm out of tune. I'm supposed to be playing an octave with these people. It's like no 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 no. You you have a major seventh. You know, trust the harmony to be there. So, you know, working that in. But again, how much time to to my my big thing today was like i wanted them to still feel like they were playing you know playing music together and being able to make music and not just simply um uh drilling you know dr dr yeah. dr drilling 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 um but getting to the music so that so that can be a challenge sometimes there was a couple things you did in warm-up and tuning that i wanted to um, mention because they were very cool i mean i'd seen variations of it or heard about it but hadn't hadn't done it before the f one is, I think a lot of people know F around the room. Yeah. It's from the Superior Performance book. But basically, you know, everybody plays a concert F one by one, and you connect it whole notes to whole notes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can make that as detailed as you want. A lot of groups do this, this F around the room. But yep. F around the room is great. But then the second time, I had never heard of this part. So the kids had to play concert F and then go down to concert B flat. Right. Both whole notes, so they play for eight beats. But when they go to the concert B flat, the next kid next to them plays the f right so not only are they passing it down but they're also tuning a fifth of b flat and f correct and it, if they do it right it goes all the way around the group and that was a wonderful thing that i had n never heard of and i hope to do at some point yeah it's it, it was a little lengthy right with a group of this size right but by the same token um it i, I did want them to experience it what was really interesting doing the f around the room and then the and then the interval uh, f and b flat around the room was to hear Actually, what I thought was interesting, when we did F around the room, some of the students were not in tune. In tune. And when we did it the second time with F and B flat, some of those students had improved like already yeah. on the next time. You could tell who hadn't paid attention to the directions. Correct. <laughs> yes, you could you could definitely tell that one. But but I just I just did this one with my uh, my own concert band the other day uh, for the first time this year. And um, and um, the, the, the same thing. We did the F around the room. No problem. And actually, they did the usual hold it to beat four, stop. And it was like, no, 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 no. And I'd use the analogy of passing a baton. And right. you got to connect it. You want to hear. And they did that. And it was much improved. Then we did the F, B flat. And you could see some of the kids' brains kind of going oh, like, wait, go like, wait, what, what? Ooh. My, you know, it's like, okay, don't think this one too hard here, Jimmy. We're yeah. just going to, you're going to do F. And then you're going to go to B flat. So, and then, yeah. you know, we got it. But that was, yeah, I think the tuning of the interval. Um, even you know, audiating, having them vocalize uh, their pitch, not just a unison B flat, but once you've established a chord for them to be a part of tuning, have them vocalize their chord tone, you know, so you, they can hear themselves singing the root, the third or the fifth. Yeah, so, and so that's the other one I want to talk about is you do this with your choirs, but you can also do it with band really well. So you set up the band in SATB and you assign them soprano, alto, tenor, bass. N nothing funky they're all in where they probably should be and you give and you voice out the chord with the bass in the root and the tenor in the fifth 
the altos on the root. root, and then the sopranos on the third. Yes. And then so they hold that chord, and you do it a couple times and fix some things. And then whenever you say their part name, they go down a half step. So the the first thing is was the altos would go down. Yep. So then you have one, three, five, and a major seven, which obviously is a different color. And then they go down again, so now you have a flatted seventh in there, which I always want to have go to the four chord, but it obviously never goes <laughs> there. And, and then the soprano part, if people are following, then go down a half step. So now you have a, a one, a five, a flat seven, and a minor third. Um, so you're, you're hearing not only chord extensions, but those different chord, four different chord qualities. And then um, you move the basses and the tenors down yeah. a half step, and then the altos back up a half step, and they're then rather than being on a concert B-flat chord, they're on a concert A chord. Yep. And you could continue that cycle um, down as much as you want. And it's just, as long as they know their chromatic scale, it's a wonderful tuning exercise. It sure is. They Because they do get to hear those those colors in a very controlled environment, right? It's not it's not flashing by in the, you know, in the span of a, an eighth note at 120 beats per minute. Yep. You know, a lot of our tunes that we're playing, especially with seventh chords in in jazz ensembles, you've got a harmonized saxophone solely, and those are flying by of those chords. And so we may not give much attention to it, uh, and then they land on a half note and they suddenly, how come I'm out of tune? Well, we've been trying to tune chords this whole time, but how are we hearing them? But for the, and in the concert band setting, the same thing. We still have seventh chords in concert band and chord extensions and getting them to listen. And I think that can be even more creative. Um, even doing things like, you know, letting, letting them lead that. It's great to do it conducting so they can watch you, but letting them lead it through listening so that as they hear the chord move they know they hear where they are and, and rather than like I'm going to conduct it well did you hear the chord move are you playing too loud did you not hear it are you too loud or are you not sure where that even happens so you're training their th what their listening skills um, even deeper even more um, so that that's a really cool one that that I used vocally and then I thought a few years ago, I was like, hmm, I, I think this could work, you know, instrumentally. And when I, when I showed it, I, there's a learning curve initially because kids want to like, do I just keep moving? No. Eventually you stop and we restart the process. Yeah. So, but once you've established that, I think it's a real good learning, uh, listening exercise. Make sure they know their chromatic scale first. Yes. The chromatic scale is really needed. If you're all the chromatic scale problems, it's not a tuning exercise. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. that that's that's very clear even you know when i do the exercise like you start at concert b flat and everybody moves down a half step and then back to concert b flat down a whole step Remington. you know yeah, yeah exactly when you're doing that um the same thing you know you quickly discover oh we oh have boy. some oh we boy. have some chromatic scale uh you know uh, deficiencies so um and the other thing that that I employed today, you know, in warm-up was like, so once you establish your SATB voicing, you can do an ascending scale through the diatonic chord series so that they get to play all of the chords of the chord series, major, minor, minor, uh, major, major, uh, as triads. And um, they get to hear that ascending through the scale um, and use that. And then I incorporated that also with just a conducting uh, exercise so that they could be watching for beat one, which they did great right out of the gate, actually. Um, they did really well with that uh, right off the bat so it was that was really enjoyable and then and then we we had those two um corrals from ryan fraley's free download you can download those free uh right off his website um it's from his 
three chorales little uh, co collection, and we did two of them as just like return to rehearsal. Uh, you know, kind of it. I think of it less as uh, tuning and more as uh, refocusing. What do we sound like? Yeah, well, are those, are sound like and also their brain. SAT, like, are those get back. four part? I didn't look at the score. Yes. They, yep. They're just basically four parts. Oh no, no, that's a full. Well, it's a full score. Uh, it's all scored out and. Um, no, it's it's generally four part, but there's there's a lot of interesting color in there uh, in his chorales. It's not just strictly you know triadic. Uh, there's definitely um, seventh and chord extensions in those chorales. They really they're really colorful and uh, great. When you sometimes uh, sometimes the some of the chorales that I've seen is like here's a great warm up chorale. It's kind of fraught with like. It's like a band piece. Yes. You work like, oh my gosh, this, no, this, the range extends, and there's like, in, there's like overlapping rhythms with ties that like, yeah, it's like, it's like, okay, I just need them to hear chords and movement, and I think those pieces really do that really well. And in this setting, I think they serve a purpose for kind of like, okay, folks, we just were gone for 15 minutes, let's come back and kind of, like reestablish that we're returning to rehearsal mode so so you mentioned some of those pieces um flourish for wind band by rayfron williams i think is a piece that a lot of younger teachers might not know the, the issue that i have with it is you know the lack of percussion yeah so if you have to spend a long time and you have a lot of players it's tough but it is so exposed it's a grade three even though the trumpets have to go up high and and it's kind of rangy, but it's a wonderful opening portion. Um, if you have a, a group that's like in that grade three level and you want to play something by a real classical master. Oh, yeah. and so many great tuning points. Like if you, the perfect if, if you, if you like, well, I want to do something that really focuses on that, but I don't want to do a chorale. That's a great piece that is not chorale, but it's like still got a lot of those elements that you're looking at tuning and. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, and wonderful. You, and you mentioned Julie Giroux because we did Undertow. There's two other pieces I want people to know about. If you don't know it, one is called Let Your Spirit Sing, which is by Julie Giroux. It's a grade two. It's in an open key, and so all the accidentals are written in, and it goes through lots of key centers between G major, E flat major, D flat major, G flat major, but there's accidentals everywhere. But the piece kind of plays itself. I mean, I would call it a hard two. Maybe it's a Texas two, but the, the piece plays itself but there's lots of accidentals in it. That's a really, really awesome piece. Mm. Um, and then the other piece um, that reminded me of Julie Drew's that I've done is her version of Silent Night. I don't know if you know this piece. No, no. So it's, sorry, I, I misspoke. Oh, Holy Night. So Oh, Holy Night, it's done with soprano soloist, ah. not soprano saxophone. Voice. Soprano voice soloist in front of the band. So she reharmonizes... Um, oh Holy Night, which is such a great tune, but she, but it's very close to the original, but in a little bit of a different way, harmonically, and just having that vocalist out front. But you need like that opera singer, yeah. Like you need the vocalist. Anyway, it's one. I was gonna say a chorus, but it's one verse in French, and then oh. one verse in English. And so if you have, uh, you know, it's a grade three and a half, maybe easy four. But if you have that special vo vocalist in your department, that arrangement is really awesome. Cool. It's cool. great. We sincerely appreciate you taking your valuable time and listening to the Growing Band Director podcast. Your students are very lucky to have a band director like you. 
If you have any suggestions for episode topics or think you have an area of expertise to share on a show with us, please reach out. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your band director friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to The Growing Band Director. See you next week.